Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email from a friend of the show who says that her husband is absolutely refusing to participate in any of the recovery tools that I've recommended. And she says, I'm beside myself, Carol. What do I do? Well, what I know to be true is you have to decide, is your husband moving towards recovery or is he moving away? And if he's moving away, it really is your decision as to whether you put up with this stuff. You know, I know that this addiction is tough. But if somebody isn't working on it, I don't know that I'd want to be spending time with him or her because I don't want the ups and downs of an addictive process that takes my husband down and anybody that he loves with him. So I guess the easy answer is if you have a partner, a sex addict partner who's working on things, you know, then you get to decide, is he doing it well? Could he be doing it better? Am I willing to wait? All those kind of questions. But if he is not doing anything, then i got to ask you, is that the life you want to live? And that's exactly how I feel about the situation. Now, I know that clearly... Most people who are listening to this show, they want help. So what do you do if you want help? Okay, I can tell you that 
If you want help, you need to follow eight of the ten recovery tools that I'm going to talk about. One, are you going to meetings? Have you found a sponsor, a guide to work you through this program? Are you reading your specialized book? In AA, it's the big book. In SAA, it's the green book. In SA, it's the white book. In SLAA, it's the white and purple book. What are you doing? Are you reading that book? That is your Bible. Now, if you're not religious, that doesn't make any sense. That's your Bible. But I'm telling you, that's your guide. And then are you doing the steps according to the book? And last but not least, are you establishing a friendship with people that are going through the same thing? Not only so that they can help you, but so that you can help them. That's the first five tools. The second set of tools is are you going to a certified sexual addiction therapist, and if you're a partner of a sex addict, have you gone to apsats.org, A-P-S-A-T-S dot org? That is the partner specialist organization that will help you work through these issues because they specialize in your health. I happen to be both, so I'm privy to both. I really think they're great. And that's what I'd encourage you to do. Go to sexhelp.com and look for a CSAT, a Certified Sexual Addictions Therapist, in your country, in your state, in your zip code, and or go to apsats.org, A-P-S-A-T-S. If you're a partner, you really do need incredible guidance. All right. Are you going to a therapy group for sex addicts? You know, I happen to run one of those, and I have to say it is one of the most meaningful things I do every day. And the reason is I'm not the only expert in the group. you got people that really understand recovery and they're living it and they talk to each other and they tell each other, this is what you need to do. So I highly recommend being part of a therapy group. Are you doing recovery and spiritual reading? Because I have to tell you that you really need to be reading and putting into your brain healthy things that are going to give you ideas, they are going to give you inspiration. I mean, I had a guy today that said, you know, he said, I want some mottos that will really help me. And so one of those mottos was, hey, if you want recovery, then here's what you need to do. You need to ask yourself, is what you're doing moving towards recovery, or is it moving you away from recovery? And that simple statement can guide you so far in your recovery. Okay, 
that's another thing that you need to look at. So are you reading inspirational, spiritual, recovery reading? Are you praying? Are you meditating? Tonight, we got some amazing guidelines from one of the guys in the group, and he actually had reprinted something from the 14 precepts of engaged Buddhism. And, I mean, this is a guy that, I got to tell you, he is not known to lead the group. And he printed out 10 of these, and he said, this is changing my life. Okay, are you ascribing to filters and polygraph tests and GPS, all those things that help to keep you accountable? I had a guy earlier who said, you know what, I have never taken a polygraph. I refuse to take a polygraph. I have never done a polygraph. I won't do a polygraph. And he came in today and he said, you know what, One thing I know is I cannot seem to figure out this process and what it takes to make it right. I need something drastic, and that is a regular polygraph test. And I had recommended that he take one every month for 90 days. I know if you're listening to the show, you're going, whoa, that is extreme. But this guy needs to get on the right track. He agreed to do it. It's going to make a real difference in his life. It's going to hold him accountable, and it's going to prove to his wife that he's got it all taken care of. Okay, so those are the 10 recovery tools, and I want you to pay attention to them because they really make a huge difference in whether you're willing to do the hard work to make your life different. And I promise you, when you work it, oh, man, it really works for you. And so that's what... um, this whole program is about and you know once you get it it's not that hard you feel such a relief that you have to say to yourself wow all this time I've been fighting what works and I am very happy to figure out that I can make a difference in my own life So, please let me know by emailing me at carolthecoach.com. And again, that's carol at carolthecoach.com. And let me know what you're doing to make your life different. See, I truly believe that we all can make a difference in the lives of each other if we contribute and actually help each other work through this process. And you know, that's part of the blessing, is giving back. Now, tonight, I am going to be talking to a man who has definitely decided that he is going to give back. 
Darren Ford and his co-author Christy Cosper have written Transforming the Addictive Mind. And it is a process by which they go through the first month of mindfulness-based addiction therapy. And I love this book. I mean, I am telling you, this book, I believe, can transform your life just by really giving it the energy that is due. You know, mindfulness sounds like one of those things that is not really something that would relate to an addiction. But i got to tell you, mindfulness is a powerful tool to teach addicts how to see the thoughts generated by the mind and not to engage in these thoughts. Now, it doesn't tell you to ignore them. It teaches addicts to disconnect from the thoughts in part because there is acceptance that they are there to teach us something. And, wow, when we look at life like that and we go, okay, what does this have to teach me? How can I grow stronger? It really makes a difference. And i got to tell you, Darren has taken an idea from Dr. Carnes, who also did a meditation mindfulness program. And I think he might have taken it a step further. He says that mindfulness is the beginning of a practice that relieves emotional distress. Due to emotional distress, addicts continue to participate in all behaviors. The more the addict does this, the more hardwired the behavior becomes. And so what you want to do is decrease the reactive state that drives the addict to participate impulsively in an addictive behavior. And this is brain science, folks. We can see this in the neural circuitry of the brain in all sorts of studies. For instance, fMRI studies done by Richard Dace. For example, what we need to look at is that the body will begin to think this behavior is important to its survival. As a result, the biology of the organism will adapt. More energy will be spent on the development of neurobiology related to that behavior. The mind becomes disconnected from the addict's reality, and until the addict is taught to see the mind and not impulsively participate in the activities that the mind tells them to, the addict is condemned to repeat behavioral patterns that end in the loss of all the care, all the care for in their life. So now... This book actually gives day-by-day steps to better understand the mind, the addictive behavior, and how to cope with it. And we've had Darren on the show before, and he, he really understands addiction. And he understands that process of surrendering. And surrender is the key to actually reforming the way you feel and think about your addiction. So, Darren, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me again. Um, I need to apologize if I sound a little raspy. I'm I'm recovering from the flu recently, so 
Um, oh, no. Well, I, too, <laughs> I had a very uh, significant virus, so I'm feeling that way, too. Uh-huh. And yet, you know, when you read the kind of stuff that you have written, it energizes you no matter how you're feeling. What 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 got you to want to write about the addictive mind? You know, I think for me, it, it it's twofold. One is just as somebody who's in recovery, I was really frustrated. I would go uh, for treatment. I would do everything they told me to do. I'd apply myself 150%. Um, and if I had a slip or a relapse, I honestly felt like I was blamed. Um, and I just felt like I needed to help the world of recovery and understand more about or to, or to be able to articulate it in a way that uh, sees it more as as a adaptation rather than a right wrong or morality issue you know we do what we know that's what the mind does and it repeats that process over and over and over and with the correlational relationship between trauma and addiction when you're a child and you're exposed to trauma, you don't know how to handle that. So you find ways to satiate yourself, however that might be. And so well, I just I, wanted to try and convey that. Okay, so you didn't want people to feel the shame and the blame that they typically do when they're having trouble navigating through their addiction. And you wanted them Absolutely. to be able to understand and accept what was going on for them. So you have found that mindfulness really allows that to happen. What do you mean by mindfulness? And, you know, what is the mind? Yeah, I think these are both really great questions. Uh, You know, first, the mind is, we look at here at Sauna, we look at uh, the mind as another sense organ. So you have the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, and the skin, and the mind is the organizing collection point, if you will, that takes in all the data from the outside world. It organizes it and coordinates it, reflects on the past, and spits out a hypothesis about what should be done in the future based off of that past knowledge. And so to become mindful, what it really means is to begin to see those projections that the mind creates and to be able to delineate between which projections the mind creates that we want to hold on to and participate in and which ones we want to just let go and maybe float by like a leaf on a stream, if you will. Um, And over time, if we practice it, we can hone our skills so well that we can start to participate in behaviors that are not just constructive for ourselves, but that also become compassionate and constructive for those who are around us. Okay, and you know, so many times I remember Dr. Patrick Carnes saying, when you have a thought, just imagine a big hand moving it to the side and then move to your committee who can help you to replace the thought with something else that is more helpful. So would you share with us some of your techniques that you think are gently focused and clinically sound? Sure. So there's a wonderful, uh, very uh, 
portable technique that I use, and it comes out of mindfulness-based relapse prevention, which is a curriculum out of the University of Washington. And it's basically the acronym of SOBER. And SOBER stands for stop, observe, breathe, evaluate, and then respond mindfully. And I actually added the mindfully component to it. But basically it means when, and, and I actually have clients do this several times throughout the day. I will have them set alarms on their, on their phone and I will have them be somewhat dramatic about it. So when the alarm goes off, they'll stop what they're doing. I'll have them, you know, literally drop their pen, their pencil, stop their keyboard, whatever they're doing, they stop. And then they observe what's going on with me emotionally and does it match my environment? Then they take that deep breath to connect themselves and they evaluate, does this match? You know, if I'm sitting in my office and I'm filled with fear, do those, does the environment match that fear? Maybe it does if you have a, a really uh, aggressive boss, but maybe it doesn't. And then you respond to that. So if it does match, you move into that instead of trying to eradicate the feeling or push the feeling away, you invite that fear in closer to yourself. So you actually breathe it in and you say to yourself, you remind yourself that that's a normal, natural, human emotion and we all have them. There's nothing wrong with it. The only thing that's wrong with fear or pain or guilt or shame is the story that our mind creates saying it's wrong or bad or we shouldn't have it. And so you just align with that emotion. If it's incongruent to your environment, then you use that wisdom and you start to respond to that in a very open and honest way. So the, the, the key here is that you're always aligning with honesty and you're moving closer to the sense or the emotion that you're experiencing, whether it be a pleasurable one or a distressful one. And, you know, you said that is the key. So truly our mind aligned with our feelings, can say, well, can really reframe anything and say, okay, what do we have to learn from this? What is it showing us? What do we need to know as opposed to feeling, oh, my goodness, I'm having this bad feeling. I'm a really bad person. Correct? Correct, right. That moves you into that. As soon as you start to say, oh, I'm having this feeling, you know, I'm feeling ashamed, uh, so I'm a horrible person. You've moved right there from experiencing the emotion into judging yourself in relation to the emotion. And that is an aversive mind state or a judgmental mind state. And that leads to that black and white thinking that addicts, you know, have so much, right? Right, wrong, good, bad, this, that. And that's actually why in the book we created the format that we did with the poison and the antidote was to try and harness that same binary judgmental emotionality or I'm sorry, thinking that that addicts have that permeates so much their their reality and start to grab it and hijack it back from addiction and use it to move the person towards experiencing the emotion instead of reacting impulsively to it. Well, absolutely. And, you know, what I love about this book is that it really does teach the addict 
how to think and feel differently by using mindfulness. Now, are there studies that show how mindfulness is effective for treating addiction? Oh, yeah. In fact, you know, it used to be that I was the quack. You know, 20 years ago, I was the mindfulness guy who was out there on the on the edges and and nobody, you know, believed and it was all that pie in the sky stuff. But now it's a different world. And, you know, we have lots of studies. Um, Richie Davis, who um, was, you know, I think in 2015 was named one of the 10 most influential people in the world is a neuropsychologist who has done just dozens and dozens of studies on mindfulness and the effect that mindfulness has um, on different parts of the brain and how that correlates to behavior. There was also uh, recently a study done by Tony King out of the University of uh, Michigan who did a 16-week study on PTSD. And what they showed was that the more... That, that the group that did the mindfulness had a decrease in hyperarousal and decrease in avoidant behavior. Um, and there's been dozens and dozens of studies uh, done over the last, I would say, decade that uh, use fMRI uh, imaging of the brain that show the different uh, patterns and process and connections, neural connections in the brain. Uh, and how those neural connections are more densely populated in people who perform mindfulness activities than those who don't, and how that has a correlational relationship with the decrease of uh, reactionaryism to craving. So, for example, they did a study with smokers, and they found at the end of the 14-week study, the smokers that, that practiced mindfulness had almost a complete cessation of smoking, and the ones who didn't, of course, you know, still a, a vast majority of them still were smoking. And so there's lots of studies that have been being done and are continuing to be done uh, because of the fact that we have found so much evidence now of mindfulness. It's starting to get itself. Uh, mindfulness is starting to permeate into all aspects of our society. You know, they're introducing programs in schools to help children with ADHD and children with PTSD. And of course, you know, we have uh, the Sano Center here and we have the MindSight Institute in, uh, at UCLA and John Kabat-Zinn's work with mindfulness-based stress reduction. So it's really uh, on the I think on the threshold of this becoming a standard of practice in the industry because it is just so effective. Well, I have so much evidence. You know, I have worked with Dr. Caldwell out of the Meadows, and he says mindfulness is the number one treatment that not only helps the addiction but teaches people to truly learn how to cope. So obviously you have done a lot of work and you have a center that you really, um, you've co-founded, right? You could stay in the central center. Yeah. In fact, we, we, uh, Sano Center for Recovery, we, myself and Christy Cosper opened about, I I would guess maybe four years ago now, uh, maybe five years. uh, And we now have three offices uh, stretching out through Southern California and, we're continuing to 
uh, use the you know the same idea. We like instead of building a big place where everybody goes, uh, we have small intimate offices that you know reflect a family type environment. Uh, because it's all about intimacy and it's all about presence and nurturing and you know and that's we try to model that in our environment as well as in our behaviors as well as in uh, our interventions that we do. So it's well, we try to be. If, if yeah. anybody wants to find out about the Sano Center for Recovery, they can go to www.sanorecovery.com. Dot com. Sano Recovery Center really teaches you a variety of skills. It offers marriage and family therapy as well as sexual addiction therapy and mindfulness. So like you said, you and your co-author, Christy Cosper, have put together this center to help addicts and other people figure out how to live a healthier, more productive life. Absolutely, you know, one that's in balance because it's very obvious in our culture that we're, you know, here in the West that we're we're out of balance, and you know we have to learn how to reconnect to ourselves. You know, I often say meditation is nothing more or less than cultivating intimacy with the self, and the relationships we have with others is nothing more or less than a reflection of the relationships we have with ourselves. So it's all isomorphic. It's all interconnected. Tell me a little bit, what what made you write Transforming the Addictive Mind? What was your drive or inspiration for writing this book? You know, I, I just, I had a desire to share. You know, one of, when I when I started my, my personal therapy, I mean, when I was a young, young kid and I was like 19, my therapist asked me what I wanted to do and I told her I wanted to sit in her chair. I wanted to help make a difference so other people didn't have to experience the things that I had experienced. And and if they did experience them, I wanted to help them learn how to recover from them. And so this is just part of that mission. You know, it's how I find meaning and purpose in my own life and how um, I relate to the world now. And so it was a big part of it was just because I have a drive and a desire to help other people um, who are struggling to find out that it's okay to struggle and that you don't have to hide from your humanity. You can embrace your flaws and learn to love them and love others in this, at the same time. Well, absolutely. Now, describe this book because it really is the first month of a mindfulness-based addiction therapy. So tell us a little bit about what they will get when they buy this book. Yeah, so the way that the book is designed is it's designed to do multiple aspects, which is quite a lot. It's first designed to start to change the the narrative that you use in your to experience the world so it does so through both looking at the negative uh, thought patterns that a person has and then utilizing those negative thought patterns to cultivate awareness of your emotions which you track throughout the book and then you begin to write or then you read an experiential antidote to to that negative thought pattern or that 
what we would term as the poison in the book. And then you get reflection back from people as you go through each section and you write out a new way that you experience the world, that you want to experience the world. So each day you can, uh, you have a new kind of lesson that you generate out of um, the activities and out of the mindfulness while at the same time moving ever so closer to greater awareness or of those emotions, which that is the vital and, and important thing is being able to be present with the emotions. And it works in incremental parts. You know, one of the problems that I have found with workbooks a lot of times is it, it's too much. You know, if you, if you open up the workbook and you start to do the work emotionally, the client becomes so flooded that they can't tolerate it. And then the book ends up being put on the shelf and it sits there. And every time you look at it, you think, oh, gosh, I really should work in that book, but oh, and your mind finds a dozen reasons why you shouldn't or why you can't work in the book at that time. And that's a reflection of the fact that psychologically it's too emotionally uh, potent that workbook is. So we scaled the workbook back into three sections, and each section turns the, the, the um, distress uh, of the emotions up a little bit, the experience of the distress a little bit, but not so much that becomes so burdensome that you that you can't continue to work in the workbook. And that's why we, we made this just the first 30 days, because it's just the beginning. You know, we have other volumes and other sections that will come out that each one will up your up the mindfulness uh, tools that you use, cultivate greater and greater awareness of the self and move you into those areas that you've resisted of yourself more and more if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, again, I could see where somebody, just like the 12 steps, going through the 12 steps, they could do this 30 days over and over and over again and get something new out of it. Um, Because it is amazing. It's very personalized. I remember reading, and I'm pulling it up right now. I do believe it's page 100. This is an amazing story of a woman who um, her son was killed, and she was grief-stricken, and she, she, she went to court and she said to the young man that killed her son, very quietly, I'm going to kill you. Yes. And this 15-year-old boy was given a three-year sentence, and something really pulled her towards wanting to go talk to him. And so she showed up, in prison, she said it was very awkward, and and she really got to know him on a different level. I mean, it was like she saw him as a part of her own son. It, it's just an amazing story. Can you tell us a little bit about this woman and how her transformation took place? Because it really was a type of mindfulness. Yeah, absolutely. And this is uh, this is on the uh, on the page of the antidote about compassion, which is you know so important whenever we're we're in recovery because we have to figure out how to have compassion for ourselves, compassion for the people around us who have been so hurt and who are angry with us, um, without shaming and whipping ourselves. And so what what this woman did was you know the boy who who murdered her son went to jail. She felt 
drawn to him. She went, she visited him. She would actually buy him things and put money on his account in jail because he had no family that visited him. And upon his release, she was there and she invited him into her home and he had nowhere to go. So he, he did, uh, in fact, go. And over time, she, you know, made him breakfast and dinner and encouraged him to get a job. And over time, he started, um, you know, living a life that was healthy and productive. And um, she, one day, she sat down across the table from him and she said, do you remember what I told you that day in, in court? And he turned to her and in fear, you know, because he was very afraid, he said, uh, yes. And, and she said, um, you know, she said, uh, well, well, I'm trying to think. She, she said the boy who um, was so lost and filled with hate as to kill um, with my son is no longer alive. Instead is the boy I see in front of me. You know, and what she expressed to him is, yes, she was going to kill him, but not his physical self. Through her use of compassion, she killed the angry, violent soul that was inside of him. And that is the nature of treating addiction. That is the nature of recovery, is figuring out, learning how to change the harsh, aggressive, non-compassionate, self-judgmental, perception of the mind to one of compassion and understanding because addicts will sit on the couch all day and whip themselves and think that that's taking responsibility for their behaviors, but it's not. The only thing they end up when they do that is they end up with a bloody couch and a scarred, marred back, and they haven't changed a thing in their life. Taking responsibility and changing means getting up off that couch, telling the people you love that you're sorry and you're going to do everything you can to make sure it never happens again, and then you go out and you do it. It's based in action, and that's what she expressed to him through these compassionate behaviors, and that's what changed his life. Yeah, I mean, what a story about a woman who not only could forgive but transform um, the person that obviously had taken her son. I mean, truly, it's it's kind of like, wow, when something bad happens to you, if you can turn it around and make it positive, you really have surrendered to life and created a kind of mindfulness of how you can make a difference in the world. Absolutely. You know, it makes me think of um, Jim Carrey, who... You know, he said, you know, I used to feel like I was a man experiencing the universe, and now I know I'm the universe experiencing a man. And what that really means is that if we find meaning and purpose, and if we find the ability to let go of the finiteness of the story that is created in our mind and instead embrace the totality of of life, um, things become not so disempowering and we become far more empowered and we become far more able to choose how to relate to the world. You know, I tell clients all the time, we cannot change people, places, or things. We can only change the way we relate to people, places, and things. And that includes ourselves. 
you know, we have to accept when we're addicts that we have a predisposition for impulsivity, and then we have to learn to work with that. Well, Darren, it seems like you were awfully wise when you were in therapy with another counselor trying to figure out how you could make a difference in the world. Now, let me ask you, obviously, obviously this workbook is volume one, and it's for 30 days. Why did you construct it like that? Was that not um, from the client? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that last part. Yeah, I said, was that not to overwhelm the client? Oh, absolutely. That's that's why exactly that we, you know, it's all has to be done in steps. We cannot, we, we can't, we don't want to overwhelm uh, the client. And, you know, we tried to make it palatable. You know, here at Sonal, right, we can do an intensive treatment program for a client and we can get the, we can throw them right in the deep end and we have enough containment. But this is a book for people who are living their lives and who, you know, need to function in their lives. And so it, it has to take incremental steps. And this first 30 days is just that. It's the first incremental step in the, in the process. Um, and each, you know, later the later volumes that we come out with will be the next steps and the, and the, the more intense type, you know, it'll be a tiered process so that you get through the whole pattern uh, in a, in a healthy way and, and not become flooded or overwhelmed. So why do you think that mindfulness based addiction, you know, why does that work for a sex addict? Yeah, I think, you know, this is, wonderful uh, for sex addiction and food addictions. And the reason why is because with these types of addictions, right, you cannot just abstain. You know, with alcohol, with other drugs, you can abstain. And it may not be fun, it may not be easy, but you can do that. But you can't abstain from sex. Sex is a beautiful, wonderful part of our humanity that, that in many ways needs to be celebrated. And so we have to change the way we relate to it. We have to change our perceptions, the mind story that we have around sex and what sex is, especially if we're addicts, sex addicts. And so, you know, for the process addictions, behavioral addictions, this is is acutely uh, beneficial because it it can work with abstinence only, and it can also work with the creation of a new relationship to the behavior. Okay, so if you were working with a client, because we have a lot of clinicians that actually work with sex addicts and partners, if you were working with a client, how would you introduce this book and how might you work on it together? Yeah, so what I would do if it's a so if it's an outpatient client, uh, what I would do is I would after you know full assessment and everything. At that point in time, uh, then I would introduce the book and I would explain to them, you know, I would go over in the beginning of the book, I'd go over the instructions of how to use it. And then what I would do is have the client either take it home or work in affiliation with me in a psychoeducational setting. Because sometimes clients don't feel safe taking the books home because what they write in them, they're afraid that it could be seen by a partner or another family member. Or sometimes we need to give them that extra support as they go through 
the process in a cycle, you know, with some psychoeducation. So sometimes I'll use psychoeducation, sometimes just have them take it home. And each night they do one of the activities. What I will say is that it's also important if you're a treating therapist to have the, have a client who's working in the book in, in group or have them working with a 12-step group or sponsor and have them get reflections back from their recovery community uh, about things that they share in the book as well. So here what we'll do is we'll have the client come in and they'll share some of uh, what they, their work in their group and then the group will offer them feedback. And there's areas in the book for the uh, client to write out the reflections that they got back from the group. And then they bring that book back into the therapy session. They share what they've done. They share their reflections or their, their knowledge or their awareness of their emotions. And they share their group reflections. And as a therapist, we start to explore what the emotionality is that arises. Was there a disconnect between the way the group saw them and the way they saw themselves? And if so, what's that about and what arises for them around that? Um, we have them read sometimes the entry and we'll ask them, what emotion did you hear in that? And they might share in their categories, they might have circled that they, that they heard the emotion of fear. But as they were reading it, we as the, as the therapist noticed that their voice raised and they became aggressive and angry. And so we might say, well, that's interesting because what I saw was anger. I wonder what your thoughts are about fear and anger. And then it always leads to these curious explorations with the client that, that help them attune to themselves and to that inner, inner emotionality that has so driven their behaviors um, in, you know, throughout their lives. Absolutely. That's a great way to to work with this book and help people who, you know, might be in group or might be an individual. Now, let me ask you something. Do you have other books on the horizon? I mean, I heard you say that once they get through with this first month of mindfulness-based addiction therapy book, then you might have some other things coming up. Yeah, actually, uh, I have... um the next book that's going to be out through Sono Press is uh, called Awakening to the Addictive Mind, A Story of and a Guide to Recovery. And it's um, a book that I've authored that uh, will be out in April of next year. And that is about my, you know, my like experience of addiction and then what I learned from it and, and what the recovery process is in relation to it. So instead of just reading a book about, um, you know, this is addiction and this is what you need to do. It, it also shares this, the experiences of, of an addict and then talks about how in, out of those very concrete experiences, these, these lessons were gained um, and how mindfulness particularly works with each one of those things. Um, and then we have, of course, we have other books, uh, probably not for a couple of years, but, uh, well, actually I should rephrase that. We have one coming out probably in June of next year as well that will be the next 30 days uh, to this book. So, and, and we'll have uh, the first, the second, and the third 30 days, so it'll be a total of 90 days Um or 16 weeks of treatment, which is what the studies uh, that that uh, they did at the University of Michigan for uh, PTSD. That was the 
the time frame that they found was most effective for uh, helping people respond to trauma. Um, and it's since trauma is so related to addiction, it's right. We, we use the same, uh, same duration of time for treatment. Absolutely. And again, if people want to find out more about you, about your services, about this book, they can go to www.sanorecovery.com or um, they can obviously get this book a variety of ways. So tell me, where can they buy your books? What would you recommend? Um, yeah, they can. Uh, well, they could buy it at any Barnes and Noble. They could buy it at any, or they could buy it through Amazon. Um, the most effective way probably is be through sonopress.com, S-A-N-O, and then press, P-R-E-S-S dot com, um, and they can order it right there, and then uh, it'll be shipped out to them. Okay. So those are yeah. And and would you describe? Sono Center and what you do for people, because you're not just uh, helping sex addicts. You you work with everybody. You do marital and family therapy. So tell us a little bit about your center. Yeah, so Sono Center for Recovery, uh, we have three offices, one in uh, three brick-and-mortar offices, one in Newport Beach, one in Long Beach, California, and one in uh, the West Los Angeles, Santa Monica area. And we provide uh, everything from the highest level of intensive outpatient, so right before somebody goes to a hospital or right after they've been released to the hospital, all the way down to standard outpatient treatment where they come just once a week. Um, and we offer what's called the you know, wraparound services. So in the treatment of, of the addict, you know, we don't just treat them, we treat their whole family. And so that incorporates you know, the partner, the family, the kids, if, if there's been a forced disclosure or if the kids need, need treatment. Um, and we treat co-occurring addictions, so alcoholism, drug addiction, all of the other co-occurring addictions. Um, and then we also, you know, uh, have sex therapy that's offered. We have, we have a, a sex therapist on board, um, and we offer, you know, uh, I guess what you would say is general practice there mindful or uh, marriage and family therapy. Uh, so, you know, individual therapy for depression, couples therapy for people who are struggling with, you know, maybe one person has a mental health disorder, bipolar disorder or something, and the partner needs help. Um, so we, we offer supportive services and mental health services for all of those areas. We also offer um, online therapy for people who are not in the Southern California area but are still in California. Uh, we have an encrypted video conferencing therapy program that we do. Um, and then for nationally or internationally, we offer coaching. Um, so we can do recovery coaching, partner coaching, uh, these types of services. Um, but we can only do therapy within the state of California right now. Well, that makes sense. So tell me a little bit about your philosophy about partners, because I'm part of the um, APSATS organization, and and I know that treating partners is so important. It is vitally important. And, you know, I think it's so hard, right, because partners are just so betrayed and so traumatized. And so the first thing really that 
that uh, we try to do here when we're working with partners is help them gain a foundation around the trauma and acceptance of, of the reality of what's happened. Once we're able to do that, then we can, we can start to offer them the tools uh, to learn how to, how to relate to that trauma in a healthier way for themselves and then finally help them construct very clear um, ideas about what, what they want from a relationship coming forward and if they even want to continue the relationship that they, that they have been in or not. Um, through that process, of course, is the utilization of mindfulness to help them work with the distress of the emotions um, and all of these types of things. Um, it's vital uh, to offer the partner the process of disclosure um, to help them just to figure out, you know, what, what they're actually dealing with. Um, and we, we do uh, operate, again, also a wraparound treatment for the partner. So we have their individual therapy for the partner. We have groups for the partner. And then we also have partner coaching. And right now we primarily work out of Mari Lee's book, um, uh, uh, Facing Heartbreak, Heartbreak, for the partner coaching, oh. yeah. And we yeah, do a and lot of that work. She actually did the um, introduction to your book in terms of she really endorses this book. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with Mari Lee. So Mari, you know, she's also known as kind of the counselor's coach, and she has just, she's honestly, for me, has been a rock for uh, helping me develop the business side of, you know, of a of a publishing company and a and a therapy company, if you will. You know, I got out of school already to do therapy, but I had no idea how to open a business to keep the doors open so that I could do therapy. Because in the U.S., we're a capitalist society, and that's the way it works. Um, and so, throughout the years, Mari has been a coach uh, and a, just an amazing coach for me in helping me uh, work with the development of my program and my center or the centers, not my centers, the centers. And, um, you know, also kind of, you know, flicking me upside the head every once in a while when I get off keister and saying, wait a minute, let's come back to, to ground here. Where, what, what are you trying to accomplish and what's your focus? Um, so she's just been an amazing, uh, wise oracle of knowledge for me uh, throughout my, my work and my personal, my business development. Well, I get that. And she is very wise, you know, a great author herself. And I mean, she says your work is streamlined, gently focused, clinically sound and holistically mindful. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. So before we end, would you be willing to share one of the meditations that you have in the first 30 days? Would you describe it and, and take somebody through what you would expect them to do if they were reading your book? Sure. So um, let me see. I'm just going to randomly open up one of the meditation exercises. So this is day – see here. Um, this is day – Nine and basically, what we do is you would read through. Oh, actually, randomly opened it up to the one on compassion. So, you know, so you would read the story about about the woman who um, 
you know, who eradicated the angry, violent person that she that harmed her her biological son. And after reading that, you would spend five minutes in a silent meditative state. And as you do so, there are three questions that you would comp- that you would contemplate. One would be, how can I love myself and co- coexist with addiction? The other would be, how can I be compassionate towards myself today? And the third is, what wisdom has been gained from addiction? And so what you do as you sit in this meditative process, and it's, it's a lot of questions for only five minutes, and you could certainly go longer, but like I said, this is only day nine, so it's just the beginning. So it's just, we're just getting started here. And as you do that, you, you become aware, you bring your awareness to your body, and you notice you know, what where your body is, the tension in your shoulders, all of those things. And then you start, as you contemplate the questions, you start to become aware of your thoughts about those questions. And you, you ask yourself, or you catch yourself when you're going off into maybe fantasy land, you bring yourself back and you think about it and you notice the emotions particularly that are arising. Then you write out a quick synopsis of your experience um, of that process. So as you write it out, it also helps you to better clarify um, your reaction to the story and to where you want to, how you want to relate to addiction. And the funny thing is, as you think about five minutes of meditation and you think, oh, that doesn't sound long until you, until you do it for the first time. And what I also, you know, this is the kind of the trickery of the book is when you're writing out your new mind story, that's still a meditative exercise as you're yeah. doing it. You're just, it's just not framed that way. Um, and so, you know, that helps. Because if you tell anybody, hey, I want you to sit for 20 minutes in meditation, and they've never sat before, they'll sit down, and within 30 seconds, they'll say, I can't do this. You know, all I'm doing is thinking, especially if they're an addict who's been in impulsivity their whole life. Um, And so there's different tactile exercises that you do in the book that are still meditative in nature, but they trick the mind into not realizing that it's cultivating those same meditation skills that you so need. Well, absolutely. And it it really is something that, like I do sex addicts groups, and, you know, when we're talking about feelings and we're also talking about coping mechanisms, I'm telling you, inevitably, there will be one or two people that will say, I use mindfulness. I was just saying today that, one of my clients brought in, um, I'm pulling it right now, he brought in the 14 precepts of engaged Buddhism. And he said, oh, this wow. has changed life, you know, because it is obviously yeah. mindfulness. And so your book is on the cutting edge of, of what people can get from the first 30 days of mindfulness-based addiction therapy. Dear and Ford, i got to tell you, it is absolutely amazing, and I would encourage anybody out there, whether you're a partner, whether you're a sex addict, whether you're a client or a clinician, to go out and get this book. You heard him say you can get it at Barnes & Noble, you can get it at Amazon, you can get it from Sano, uh, Sano Press. Publishing. Yeah. Sano Press, yeah. 
Vinyl Press. So yeah. anything you want to add before we end for today? Um, you know, the only thing I would add is one thank you for this opportunity. And I would also just say never forget, like I said before, we cannot control people, places, or things, only the way we relate to people, places, and things. And that includes ourselves. Oh, that is so true, and that certainly sounds reminiscent of the serenity prayer, and that is the key to life. Well, I so appreciate, Darren, your honesty and candidness and the work that you're doing, and keep us posted. We want to hear more when you get that second book out. Is Sano Press going to be publishing anybody else's books? Um, yeah, actually, well, Christy is uh, working on a book, but we also have um, a couple other therapists here at Sono who are working on projects right now and who will also be published through Sono Press. So, oh, excellent. But we I, it are it open. feels to be a gentle path press kind of thing coming on. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you really do. Very you true. Carnes to um, helping you get this work started. Tell me just one second, what do you think of Dr. Carnes and, and his meditation mindfulness um, practices, especially through his recovery start kit? Yeah, well, we, you know, that's what we have always primarily used here for our intensive outpatient is Dr. Carnes' recovery start kit. And, you know, it, it, his work is the foundation. You know, that's his work is what absolutely got us started here at Sano and you know it's a it's something that's that is so interwoven in the foundation that we do that there's just no way that we could not use it um you know he is he has just done amazing work i i i just can't be thankful to him enough about you know the work that he has done and the time he's taken even you know to be able to train you know, in training and and teaching me and and doing all of these other things that he has so done for so long. You know, I can remember, and I even shared with Patrick the first time uh, I, when I was in training. I didn't even realize it until when I was in like sixth grade. I was literally twelve years old. He was on the Oprah Show, and his book Out of the Shadows just came out, and it did not dawn on me that it was him until I was in training with him. And it like all of a sudden it clicked in my mind and I was just like flooded. I couldn't believe it. And I shared with him that story and it was just a, a wonderful bonding moment. But he, you know, his work has just been absolutely uh, foundational to bringing out awareness around sex addiction and around, you know, our culture's obsession with sex and terror of sex. You know, before, before Dr. Carnes, nobody talked about it. Nobody, nobody talked about sex addiction. It was just kind of like, oh, well, you have, you're an adulterous person. Well, you're just terrible. And, you know, nobody bothered to look at it and say, wait a minute here. Let's look at this. Why is this happening? Until, until really he came along. And I, I'm just forever, you know, in awe of the work he's done. Oh, I know. Too. He is amazing, and he's <laughs> the girl, and he's the founding father, and and, you know, he keeps on keeping on. I mean, he's in his yeah, 70s, and he's just amazing. He always says, so I'm going to retire, and then he's there the next next year. I know. <laughs> we both go to his conferences, and we get to see him. And truly, um, you know, when you've been with a founder or something, 
and you know he's lived the addiction, he's taught the addiction. There just is nobody greater. So I, I just really appreciate the fact that you're carrying on his work and you've done it so well. And I wish you the best, and you keep us posted of things that you're going to do in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. You have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. So, again, that is Darren Ford, and his co-author, Christy Cosper, wrote Transforming the Addictive Mind, the First Month of Mindfulness-Based Addiction Therapy. And this really is, I think, going to be a classic. I, I, You don't ever hear me say that, but i got to tell you, this is something that we could all use. So think about, are you willing to do an exercise a day to change the way you look at things so that things around you change? It certainly will change how you look at addiction and what you are willing to do in your life to make a difference. It's simple. I have to say, I think every bit of this is very simple, and yet it's amazingly impactful. So, you know, I always say at the end of every show, there will only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself and hang in there, try these simple steps, get these books, and uh, keep listening to the show. And we'll see you next week for more Sex Health with Carol the Coach. Have a great week.